Hello and welcome to the podcast, The Purpose of Wealth, the secrets to protecting and growing intergenerational wealth, brought to you by Mutual Trust. I'm Narelle Hooper, your host. Mutual Trust is Australia's leading modern multifamily office and has been helping our nation's wealthiest families achieve what matters most since 1921. In this episode, we'll learn some surprising facts about the impact of family wealth in Australia. We actually identified through the businesses that they create 6.32 million jobs here in Australia, which equates to paying around about $294 billion in wages paid. That has a great impact in terms of prosperity of the Australian economy. And we'll bust open some secrets on how successful families do it. Yes, you need to focus on the financial side of things, but you actually have to also focus on all those non-financial areas. There's a catch though. Lasting impact depends on families going the distance, protecting and growing their wealth over generations. That is not a guarantee. More often than not, family wealth transfers go wrong. And that's where the value of a family office comes in. Mutual Trust and the University of Adelaide Business School have recently released groundbreaking research, Why a Modern Family Office Matters, It's the first of its kind in Australia to reveal the contributions our wealthiest families make to the nation. To tell us more about this research is Jeff Steiner, Mutual Trust Head of Family Office, and Associate Professor Dr Christopher Graves, Director of the Family Business Education and Research Group at the University of Adelaide Business School. Welcome Jeff and Chris. Thank you very much, Narelle. Nice to be here. Yeah, thanks, Narelle. And good to see you too, Jeff. Chris, let's start with this research. Can you paint us a picture of what you found and why it's so groundbreaking? Yeah, so through the research, we're able to identify uh, the impact that family enterprises have on the Australian economy. We actually identified through the businesses that they own that they create 6.32 million jobs here in Australia, which equates to paying around about $294 billion in wages paid. And that has a, a great impact in terms of prosperity of the Australian economy. But in addition to that, they play a key role with their wealth outside the businesses that they control. For example, they actually invest around about 515 to $695 billion into other businesses apart from the ones that they own and and control. And it's through these kind of investments that they generate further jobs, you know, something like between 446 to 600,000 new jobs through the wealth that they deploy in these other businesses. They're a significant taxpayer. They contribute around about $3.6 to $5 billion in tax payments to the federal government every year. But apart from that, family offices contribute around about 7% of all the capital that's actually in that space. So, you know, family enterprises through their family offices are significant investors in startup businesses as well as growth capital for existing businesses. But outside of that, there's that philanthropic impact too. So it's not all about the money. They are significant contributors to philanthropic causes. So around about half of all their giving goes to educational needs here in Australia and overseas, alleviating poverty, health, and also to the 
the arts. That's a massive footprint when you consider that 70% of Australian businesses are owned by families. Jeff, I just wanted to bring you in here. So when you think about families of wealth, a picture came to my mind, pretty much from popular culture, right? Succession, rich people in a mansion. (laughs) So in essence, how does the research debunk this? And how do wealthy families you've dealt with deploy capital for positive impact in the community? Probably first start with succession. Um, There are some (laughs) common themes out there. I would say that most families of wealth don't really act that way. (laughs) So sorry to um, break that news, but families of wealth obviously make a great impact with their businesses, but also with their private capital. And it just demonstrates the support they require from the family office sector to help them maximise that impact across generations and not just for their own families, but also for the community at large. The clear message in this research is success and positive impact doesn't just happen. It must be purposeful and it's about more than the dollars. So what struck you most significantly about the research and the importance of having a family office? The good thing is the research actually uncovered what are the key areas successful families focus on across generations. And if you think of them maybe as five pillars, we dive into financial prosperity, which is really running the balance sheet, growing the balance sheet so it's sustainable. It has to work well to pay for all the things that the family needs. But then moving across to entrepreneurship, to family unity and harmony, family learning and engagement, and obviously community. And all of those areas have a very purposeful nature for most families. Some families will be focused more on one or two of those areas, or some families will be across all of those areas. But what the research shows that, yes, you need to focus on the financial side of things, but you actually have to also focus on all those non-financial areas. And when combined, you actually maximise your chance of success across generations. And therefore, if you maximise your success, you're going to have a greater impact with your wealth. The family office, its role is to help families uncover that, define a purpose of wealth across those areas, and actually come up with a strategic action plan, if you like, to deliver on that. Jeff, this links to the work that Mutual Trust does, and you've worked in this area for over 20 years. How did Mutual Trust come about to do what it does? Mutual Trust was initially founded in 1921 by W.L. Bowie and his four brothers, And they really set up Mutual Trust as a vehicle to provide accounting and trustee services for the family. And in 1951, Mutual Trust was incorporated. And then if we surpass to the 1980s, this service was open to other families who also had common needs to the Bowie family. And so during this time, Mutual Trust continued to grow. It really evolved to meet the changing needs of these multiple families. And this included branching out to other services such as wealth management, philanthropy, in addition to the tax and accounting and the family consulting that it already provided. If I fast forward to 2017, following the union of Mutual Trust and the Meyer family company, Mutual Trust really became the Australia's largest multifamily office at that point in time. So today we consider ourselves a modern multifamily office. We have the right processes, infrastructure to help families achieve what matters most with their wealth. And it's really just tying it back to that new era of looking at purpose, making a positive impact, engaging families so that they can then 
have a great impact within their own families, but also society as a whole. What is a family office? Can you break that down for us? I do feel a jargon alert coming on. <laughs> Chris, maybe, would you like to start with that based on what you found in the research? And then we can probably talk about other definitions as well. A family office is really an operating model that consists of people, processes and systems that's used by a family enterprise to assist the family in managing their wealth, you know, managing, deploying, growing, renewing, transferring their wealth. When we talk about wealth, it's not only financial wealth, it's their non-economic wealth. In a way, so as to achieve the, the family's current and future needs and goals. A high net worth families and individuals, we all have an accountant, we have a, an investment advisor, we have a lawyer to help us out with family law matters and probably even a psychologist. Yes. Some, given some of the issues we've got to deal with, what is different? There's probably four generic types of family offices. Probably what's most commonly known is probably what we call a single family office. A family might set up a team. It's a dedicated team that's separate from their business operations to actually assist in managing their particular wealth exclusively by family members. The next one is what we call a family business office. Families will often introduce a degree of separation between the family's business operations and the manager of the wealth. So often you'll find it's that might be the CEO or the CFO of the operating business that might be providing the family some assistance in managing their wealth. Then we get to a virtual family office where services are generally provided by external providers such as advisors from accounting firms, stockbroking firms, or banking institutions. And the last one is really a, what we call a multi-family office, and that's what mutual trust is. Absolutely. The multi-family office, which is very similar to a single family office, very professionalized, offers a broad range and scale of services to several unrelated families. Separately, confidentiality is maintained, but they just leverage the resources and the services that that office has to offer. How do you know which approach suits your needs? We went through those four models, but what you often find is families use a hybrid of those models. So they might have a single family office or a business family office, and then where they can't provide services themselves or they don't have the expertise or the systems, they'll normally leverage a multifamily office that does have that capability. So the multifamily office will typically fill the gaps that a single family office has, or you'll often find that the single family office will have an engagement and then potentially marry a multifamily office down the track where they'd probably transition in at a point in time. There's plenty of um, options. The, the good thing is though, a single family office or business family office, having that partnership allows them to obviously get the expertise when they need it, but it provides for continuity too with the family. So normally the mum or dad might've set up the family office and that's their thing. The kids have grown up, they've got their own careers, the family office is not their thing. So what happens is beyond potentially mum and dad, that single family office may not have a purpose. There's a long-standing relationship or a partnership with a multifamily office, which enables a transition at a point in time. So it's like a, a backup plan as well. That seems to be a very common model to be used by single family offices. How much in assets are we talking? What's the threshold of wealth that we're talking about? depends on the family's needs. So if you've got multiple needs, they're complex, you need solutions. For example, if you've got a sophisticated balance sheet, 
if you've got multiple family branches or family members that need to come together to be unified around purpose or they need to build a business or they've got a large foundation that might give so many grants per year to a whole variety of not-for-profits or they've got a real need for education and learning and that's not just individuals next gen coming through that's family learning as a whole across single families or multiple branches it could be across generations from patriarchs and matriarchs in their 80s the next gen 50s and 60s and even the teenagers and the ones in their early 20s all of those individuals will have a different need and a different outcome required so the family office is really there to set up a process that enables or assists those families in achieving all of those goals a lot of families that might have up to say 300 to 500 million will probably opt to utilize or, or just use a multifamily office for their needs families that have over a billion dollars a lot of those families establish their own single family offices and then they might partner with a multifamily office for bits and pieces and then you'll find the group 500 to a, a billion those families will one have a single family office but a very deep partnership with a multifamily office or they'll operate within a multifamily office too. So there's a variety of hybrids and options, but you probably find that anything over a billion really does justify the costs to establish your own single family office and partner up with a multifamily office as required. We often talk about that at the end of the day, structure has to follow strategy. So if you think about strategy, about first and foremost, a family having a sense of a unified purpose, for what purpose do they want to actually put their wealth to? Not only their financial wealth, but also their human capital, family members. And then what's the best structure we can put in place to actually execute the strategy to actually achieve that unified purpose? And so there's no one perfect model for a family office. And if you feel as though you've arrived at the perfect model, there's probably a good chance that you're probably deceiving yourself. And so first and foremost, always thinking about, is it fit for purpose? And as Jeff's actually highlighted, it never tends to be purely a single kind of model, but it's actually really thinking about, is it actually serving the family as best as possible to help them achieve what matters most? And on the financial side, we know it really does matter for families to really think these through, because we know that working towards a more appropriate model has a significant impact on the financial impact that their wealth has on the economy. So we actually worked out that, you know, for every one percentage point improvement in the annual returns that a family office can achieve for the family wealth can actually create an extra 45,000 jobs in the Australian economy. So it can have a huge impact just by making sure we get this model right because it it actually ensures that we're actually utilising the family capital as best possible. And Chris, just to add to that, if you think about the costs associated with running a family office, if you've got $100 million, the benchmarks or the guidelines that from the US and, and here in Australia, you're looking at between one5 to 2.5% of your assets to run an office. So if you think about it, if you have $100 million, there's one5 to $2 million. Now, when you add up the costs of an office, infrastructure, CIOs, CFOs, it doesn't take you long to start to consume a million or $2 million a year. For those type of size offices, they can leverage, a, say, a multifamily office 
costs will be significantly less. But then when you get to the billion dollars range and upwards, there's 10 to $20 million, and you could probably say you could buy some decent expertise and, and, and put in place the right process and systems to serve your family for that type of price. But then it depends on your needs as well, because if you're only focused on growing the balance sheet, which is still very important, if you just focus your time on that, you might only need some accountants, CIOs, investment advisors, and so forth, a, a really good system to hold assets, and that might do it. But we know that if you just focus on that, to what end? <laughs> do we just make money to make more money? There's got to be something more to it than just financial prosperity. So that's one need. But then if you move into the other needs, entrepreneurship. So we may have had a business um, that we've sold, we've had a liquidation event, and now we're moving into um, a passive investor type framework. However, to respect the legacy of the past, we may want to continue to foster that, that entrepreneurial spirit in the family. So we might go to look to invest in other businesses. So when you start to do that, you obviously need expertise and assistance. So there's another need that needs to be filled. Philanthropy as well, you might have a large foundation be passionate of, across a number of key areas, whether it be health, it could be children, poverty, it could be a whole pile of areas. But looking at that, what system do I have in place to target the key areas that I'm most passionate about? How do I know I'm granting to the right organisations? Are they carrying out the right work to make the impact that we want to make in community? So you need advice and support around that function or that need, if you like. There's family unity and harmony as well. What do we need to do? What costs do we need to incur to ensure we can get the family together and be aligned around what we're trying to do with our wealth? How do we get them together to make the right decisions? How do we make sure that they're aligned not just today, but also in 20 years' time and so forth? So it's, this is where you might hold family meetings and, and family briefings and organise board meetings and all these sort of things to get them together and understand how do they want to manage their wealth and what decisions they have to make. It's also, too, thinking through family keeping their money together. So Instead of everyone wanting a piece. Yeah, do we all keep <laughs> it together as a collective um, because mm -hmm. there's better opportunities and it's more cost efficient? Or do we do that but also carve off some capital to allow individuals to prosper in their own right, independently of the families? If everyone's stuck together, that might not be so harmonious. One of the key roles that a family office can play is actually helping the family identify some kind of unifying purpose of using their wealth together. Because, you know, we often talk about the success of family-owned businesses and we talk about how many made it to the second, third or fourth generation as though if you make it to the fourth or fifth generation, that's an example of a successful family business, but not necessarily. So it really boils down to what matters most to the family and, and what unifies them that they can get behind and work together with. And as Jeff's highlighted, and which we found from the research, you've got to allow that flexibility. You can allow families to actually be able to go off and do their own things, not necessarily have to tie all their wealth up together. Unified purpose, get behind that with wealth, but actually also have the flexibility to allow individual family members to pursue those things which actually are important for them as well. 
There really is no such thing as a typical family. How do you factor this into your advice and work out those different needs, the aspirations, and deal with the different motivations of everyone, Jeff? We normally take families through intensive interview, survey, workshop type process. It can be as long as three months or even two years. And this is where we work with families to uncover what they feel about all of these important things that we're talking about. So what do they feel about financial, lifestyle, entrepreneurship, unity, communication, learning, engagement, philanthropy? So all those key pillars, we really do a deep dive into those areas and get their views. And so what happens at that point, once we've met with all the individual family members, we normally come back together as a group and we go through to say, this is where we're all on the same page. We're all aligned around these things. Here, we're a little different and that's okay. We're allowed to be different and we respect differences. And then we say, does it really matter if we are different and how will, how will we address that? And then here are the things that we actually are very different and we need to address these issues. So it's like an opportunity for everyone to canvas their views so that we can uncover what really matters most to a family. And then once you've got that in place, you can then really start to create a purpose statement. And that's really about what's the purpose of our wealth. We use our wealth for, <laughs> and it could be, yes, to grow our balance sheet, it could be to give donations here. It could be to build businesses. It could be to engage our next generation coming through and educate a whole a range of things. And once that's clear and aligned, the great next step is when you can actually develop a strategic action plan to deliver on all that. So that's when you get into the nuts and bolts of the how. Once that's done, that's the second step, really. That's when you choose what sort of family office model you need to deliver it. See, I see the family office as a servant to the family. It is there and should be tailored. It should evolve. But its primary goal in life is to deliver on those needs of the family. And it's not just financial. It's all these other things that when combined together, that's really what success looks like across generations. And Chris, in your research, in different terminology, in a different way, you've pretty much come out with the same outcomes from all the families that, that you met with across that purpose of wealth? Families are often motivated by up to five key areas of legacy that they want to leave behind. So what matters most to families? What are the five areas? I think that's the thing that really surprised me. Now, I learned a lot through doing this research project, Narelle, is the fact that families are driven much more than just about actually financial prosperity. They really pursue other kinds of legacy in addition to financial legacy, which is wanting to have this community impact, providing jobs, being able to actually support really important social causes to actually assist those who are less fortunate, to actually maintaining this entrepreneurial spirit. In their DNA, they are entrepreneurs. And just because they might exit a particular business, it doesn't take away that DNA of wanting to create wealth. And so there's that real drive to continue to actually be part of this entrepreneurial ecosystem here in Australia. Maybe that's startups, maybe investing their wealth into existing businesses, helping them to grow. Fourthly is actually learning engagement fulfillment. And this is really talking about that we want family members to actually be good, productive citizens in society. So how do we prepare our kids for those future responsibilities of wealth and being a, a good contributor to society? But last but not least, they're very much driven by using wealth 
to actually promote family unity and harmony. What's the purpose of actually accumulating all this financial wealth and success if we don't actually have this healthy, functioning family and the support and the relationships and the benefits that come from that? Chris, you've interviewed some amazing families and heard their stories. Can you share some of the other positive impacts that family enterprises can have once they've sorted out the approach to family office? It's not necessarily always healthy to encourage a family to keep all the wealth together. There has to be a reason for keeping the wealth together, some kind of unifying purpose. But there needs to be flexibility to allow maybe a branch of the family to actually have some wealth to pursue what may be important to them, but not necessarily as a family as a whole. And so the example I'll use from this study highlights how one branch of the family that they were able to use their wealth that they realized from a liquidity event, and they were able to actually invest in a, a relatively young business and able to grow that and develop that nationally and actually take that to be listed on the Australian stock market. And so this is, again, just about freeing up capital, enabling families to do what they do best, which is actually pursue those entrepreneurial endeavours, use their skills that they've developed from operating business in the past, together with that capital to actually grow, establish businesses and jobs that that actually does create. Jeff, can I have some examples from you of the families that you've seen that have had those positive impacts? This is a great family where they really, at the commencement of that process, felt like they didn't have anything in common. <laughs> and they were getting to a point where they said, we all have to go our separate ways. We can't keep this together because it's just not going to simply work. There were two things there. One, where are we aligned? Definitely, they were aligned around the financial prosperity piece. We definitely want to respect the legacy of this family where we see ourselves as custodians and we need to invest this balance sheet and we need to work together to ensure that it grows over time for the next generation. And this was a third generation family. So at that point, that was one thing that they realized. If we keep most of this together, there's going to be economies of scale, there'll be better opportunities. And there's, there's things that we would do to together that we would just never do on our own. <laughs> so there's risk you would take in a family group. And obviously the philanthropy and community was large. And when we actually uncovered what they wanted to do, there was a big focus on health as one of the key areas that they wanted to support because they had had health issues within the family for generations. And no one had really got to a point of targeting those and providing the support. So they actually came up with a program with multiple universities at the research level. They then went to a lot of the health sector to sponsor on new treatments and all these sort of things and support also for the care of these individuals that suffer from some of these issues. Everyone in the room on in that family all agreed that was a fantastic idea. So going from a position of we're just all not on the same page to actually there are things that we can do together, grow our balance sheet and donate in these areas that matter most to us, then if you go forward five or six years now since we did that, that's actually helped build their relationships and improve their unity over time. 
the family office, if you like, has been able to help facilitate that each step of the way to get to that point. And so now they focus most of their energies on the philanthropy side, but also the investing side to ensure the balance sheet grows, which I think is amazing. And then the next generation coming through, I think they're all in their teens, they're already starting to observe what good looks like. So they're starting to be involved and learn by seeing their parents doing pretty amazing outcome. Um, Chris, there's been a boom in family offices in Australia over the past decade and, and more to come according to the research. What's driving that? And is that a similar trend worldwide? It certainly is. I think it's particularly in Western economies is that there's a growth in absolute wealth. And so many, many families are facing this issue in terms of how do we effectively manage that wealth that is actually accumulating? You look at some of the aging demographics, so in Western countries, we're talking about the baby boomer generation. And so if you look at over the next 30 years in terms of wealth transfer, it's massive. I think it's going to be a fourfold increase in wealth transfer over the next 30 years because of the growing accumulation of wealth together with the aging demographics of societies and Western economies. And so the issue about needing better way to manage that wealth is going to be on the rise. So this is the great wealth transfer. Yeah, this is the great wealth transfer. And we often talk about succession in a business enterprise and the need to develop that next generation for those future leadership responsibilities. It's the same that goes with wealth, is that we just can't automatically assume that the next generation, if they inherit wealth or take over responsibility of their wealth, that they'll do well with it. Mm. It requires good planning and developing strategies to develop that next gen so that they actually have the awareness, the appreciation and the skills and a sense of purpose for which that wealth can actually be put to. Jeff, can you briefly describe how Australia sits with the experience in, say, the US and Europe on family offices? Family offices have been in the US, in Switzerland, for example, for many, many, many years. And so there's that perception that just due to that duration, that it's very well known, it's very professionalised, there are structures that are in place for over 100, 200 years that families have to adhere to. It wasn't a common practice, and you probably found in the 80s and the 90s, you had the signature large families in Australia that had family offices. They started to, for example, you, you could just pick any of the big names in Australia from Fairfax through to Maya, Bayou, all of them were very well known, and this literature is everywhere in the public domain. Um, you'll find that the industry here has been a lot more flexible and agile to the changing needs of families. I'd say that if Australia has caught up, if not very at a level par with the United States and some of those multifamily offices in Europe as well. The corporations we have here in Australia are younger compared to Europe and also the US. Jeff, I'm wondering whether we probably have a greater proportion of family-owned businesses that as they start to accumulate more wealth outside the business, that they're having to think about moving from a what we call a business family office model mm. to something that's actually more fit for purpose. Absolutely. I think the business family office, a lot of families now are looking at that to say, we just want you to focus on the business. That's what we've hired you to do. We want you to maximise the returns in the business. We don't want to cause a distraction. So they decide to let the business run and focus on itself, and then they'll establish whether it be the single family office or a multifamily office to separate 
the family wealth from that business office. And one, importantly, it's a different type of expertise you need to to run passive wealth, but also there's confidentiality too. You don't yes. want everyone in your business knowing the private affairs. No, that's right. And there's key person risk in those businesses as well. So you probably it's probably good to separate so you can have confidentiality, but also a separate focus with different experts that have been working in the day-to-day wealth management. Talking about money, let alone talking about people dying and the, the family loss that you have within that, and then people's aspirations can be pretty tough. Chris, there's a great quote from one of the families you interviewed. Our father wouldn't even talk about it. The word wealth was seen as a dirty word within the family. That's a pretty big obstacle. Yeah. How do you start to talk about the things you need to talk about? Yeah, so I think it's it certainly perhaps was a bit of a generational issue. It weren't really talked about in public spheres. And so those important conversations about the purpose of wealth and how we can use wealth to achieve what matters most in the future just don't actually occur. And so it's so sensitive though, it isn't is it? It's such yeah. a sensitive topic. Asking for a friend. Yeah. <laughs> how do you broach that? It probably actually starts off by really talking about what's the purpose of that wealth, isn't it? So rather yeah. than talking about how much wealth we're making and, and so forth, it's really as a family sort of agreeing on what's important to us and what kind of legacy are we keen to actually leave. Mm. So the most obvious one is certainly a financial legacy. So, you know, to provide for the current and future generations and to provide that good stewardship of the financial assets which are being mm. accumulated. But it's got to be more than that, right? Because... Mm. um. Just having a pile of money doesn't necessarily bring family together. And in actual fact, it can cause the exact opposite. It really is helping the family have that conversation, the sense of what's important to them, you know, based upon their their values and the things that they're passionate about. And what are ways we could actually start thinking about how we could use that wealth in order to actually pursue those kind of legacies. Jeff, we know that 70% of intergenerational wealth transfers fail by the third generation. Why specifically do we see so many of these transfers fails a particular definition, but why so many? I would say one of the biggest reasons why they fail is poor communication across family members. And over time, that can really deteriorate trust. With a poor communication and potentially a lack of trust, they find it very difficult to make decisions together. They go their own ways. They're not so aligned around the family as a whole. And that can actually result in a separation of the wealth. And so that, if you want to call that a failure, that could be deemed a failure. Some families where they're not unified and there's no harmony at all, separation can actually be a, a good thing. A second would be not engaging or preparing heirs along the way so that when they're ready, to take over the reins, they can do so with confidence and they're fully engaged and this is something that they want to do. Not having a plan around that over a long term is a second reason why sometimes families get this wrong. A third um, would be not having that clear purpose of wealth, not just for this year, but for 10, 20, 30 years, where the family's aligned and everyone directionally knows where they're going. Having people pulling from different parts can create dysfunction. That has definitely been the view of the last two decades, where a lot of the advisors and a lot of the industry has focused on why families fail or why they lose their wealth in three generations. I think now the industry is changing. So I think what we're going to find from now onwards 
is a real positive focus on how to actually succeed, um, how to make a great impact with your wealth, as the research shows as well, but also how to do it um, and how can the family be engaged around a shared purpose, if you like. It's all nice words, but it's actually how do you actually put it into place and make it happen, make it a reality. And I think that's the key that the family office needs to step into that role and help a family do that. That's a great flip, right? So let's, let's reverse that and look at what are the 30% doing that have the successful mm. track record? Chris? With each passing generation, you've got more family members involved in the family world, and therefore it becomes even more important to have that discussion in terms of, well, what's the purpose of this wealth? And the second point I want to actually make is that the fact that that wealth isn't kept together through all three generations isn't necessarily a failure. In actual fact, it may make real important sense for some of that wealth to be carved off and, and maybe a branch to go their separate way. And it's because it's a better way of getting alignment for the purpose of that particular wealth. There's nothing worse when you've got warring branches of the family that don't agree on how that wealth should actually be used. Mm. And therefore, they spend all their time and effort and energies into trying to get their agenda to be prominent rather than actually maybe looking to see whether we carve off some of that wealth and actually pursue important but different interests. Now, that does sound like the Roy family lunch. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Well, that's probably a good point to end the conversation. I do think that that's a stronger place to leave things where you're excited about prospects as opposed to the notion of wealth as a burden and losing sleep over these factors that uh, need to be surfaced. I'd like to thank Jeff Steiner and Chris Graves. Thank you both for a great conversation. Thanks very much, Narelle. Thanks, Narelle. That's it for this episode of the Purpose of Wealth podcast. In the next episode, what is the purpose of wealth? One of the great mysteries to me in this world is how we took the word wealth to mean something extraordinary, well-being, and we dumbed it down to money. We look at some surprising reasons wealth transfers between the generations can fail. Tragically lost parents at a very early age. But one of these children, one of their friends actually said, you're so lucky now, you have all of this money. And his answer was, I've just lost my parents. I'm not feeling lucky. And how to avoid the burden that substantial wealth can bring. We'll share the necessary steps to ensure your wealth thrives with two experts in the field. Episode 2 featuring Jay Hughes Jr. and Lizzie Goldfinch, Director in the Family Office Team at Mutual Trust, coming soon. I'm Narelle Hooper. I'll catch you then.